Our second scripture is from Luke chapter 14, verses 1 and 7 through 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your guest. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited to go and sit down at the lowest place, so that you may, so when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who, are hum who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy God, as you gather us, all of us around your word, may your word come to life in us that we might bless the world you love. Amen. Maybe the first thing we should say about this morning's scripture is that Jesus eats with Pharisees. I'm one who is always eager to point out that Jesus welcomes and eats with the outcast, the poor and the marginalized, the sinner and the tax collector. But here in this scripture and at other points in the Gospels, Jesus eats with Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees are by no means outcasts. They are much closer to the centers of power, not, not the top of the hierarchy because there is an empire after all, um, but they are men of relative power and privilege. Often in the Gospels, they're presented as antagonists of Jesus. Jesus is making a point, a gospel point, and the Pharisees are counterpointing. They challenge Jesus. They threaten Jesus. Some of them will ultimately be part of those who conspire to imprison and kill him. This is part of how broad and wide and deep the welcome of Jesus is. Jesus eats with Pharisees. He gathers at table with those with whom he disagrees, with those who oppose him, and with those who threaten him. And Jesus is still Jesus. Remember, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is turning the world right side up. Those who are humble are being raised up, and the powerful are being brought down. 
We are living into the new creation that will be birthed in resurrection. So when Jesus walks into a dinner hosted by a Pharisee, into a room full of people with lots of power and privilege, we can expect that Jesus is going to say something or do something that will shake up their world. It's no surprise that in this morning's scripture, the Pharisees are watching Jesus closely. That's how the story begins. On one Sabbath day, Jesus was going to dinner at the house of a Pharisee, and they were watching him closely. The lectionary reading leaves out what Jesus does first. I mentioned it in the introduction. On the way to the Pharisee's house, Jesus heals on the Sabbath again. Last week's scripture was the second time Jesus heals on the Sabbath. This is the third. In the Sabbath healings, Jesus couldn't be clearer. The purpose of Sabbath is to do good, to set people free, and to heal. Healing on the Sabbath again, Jesus arrives at the Pharisee's house. And maybe as we walk into this room and into this story, it might help to ask a few questions. And the first, what's, what's going on in this room? As Jesus walks into the Pharisee's home, what, what do we see? Jesus walks into the Pharisee's house and he sees the privileged and powerful guests all jockeying for position at the table. Their world is a hierarchical world based on honor and shame and their social interactions reflect that. A better seat at the table reflects more honor and more power. A lesser seat carries with it less power and some shame. And so Jesus watches the powerful and the privileged climbing over each other to get the best seats. We also might want to think a little bit beyond this table and ask who else is in the room. We've got the powerful people scrambling for seats, but there, there had to be others there too. Servants serving the meal who aren't allowed to sit. Maybe women serving too, but with, with no seat no place at the table. So Jesus says to the gathering, let me tell you a story. When you're invited to dinner, don't rush in and take the best seat. You never know. Someone more important than you might show up and then the host will come up to you and tell you to move on down the table and find your proper place. And that will be embarrassing. It's kind of like when your seats at the Giants game aren't that great, and you see a bunch of empty seats down on the third baseline, and so you move yourself to the better seats. But then an usher comes with the folks who really should be sitting there and says, excuse me, can I see your tickets? Looks at them and says, oh, your seat is way back there in front of everybody. Don't take the best seats. Instead, Jesus says, walk in and take a more humble seat on down the table. And then you never know, the host might invite you to move up. For everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled. And everyone who humbled them, humbles themselves will be exalted. Now at first, that might sound like advice for proper etiquette. Here are the social rules for a dinner party. Please, please don't embarrass yourself. But we know. We know Jesus is talking about 
privilege. Privilege is the relative power that someone has within a system because of who they are and because of their power location within that system. In Jesus' world, the privilege and power that someone has are reflected in the seat they have at the table. We know what that can look like in our world. We talk about privilege in our anti-racism work and in our other justice work. It's the privilege that someone has, that we have, to the extent that we are part of a dominant group in our culture on the basis of our race or our gender or our sexual orientation or our wealth. Because of privilege, we have been sitting in a better place at the table, closer to the center of power at the expense of others who are harmed by those same systems of power. We know what that looks like at our tables. Workplace studies show that at conference tables, members of the dominant group tend to dominate conversations. They get more speaking time at the table. Those dynamics can restrict the participation of people of color and along with that, their opportunities with the work, within the workplace. Gender studies show that in male majority settings in the average business meeting, the participation of women is 75% less than that of men. This dynamic also shows up in educational studies of who gets the chance to speak up in the classroom where students of color in white dominant settings can be relatively silent as compared to their white counterparts. When Jesus says, don't take the most privileged seat at the table, at our tables, at our tables, that might mean checking our privilege and giving others the room and the space to speak up. As Lee Jordan writes in the Harvard Business Review, it means paying attention. Who is speaking up? Who is not? Who is given the automatic benefit of the doubt? Who must work harder to prove themselves? It's about naming our privilege, understanding how it functions as part of unjust systems that disadvantage others, and being willing to relinquish it to give up our seat. A few weeks ago, I think it was the last Sunday in July, I talked about something called step up and step back, which I adapted in that sermon as a spiritual practice. But this, this is where I first experienced this practice as a guideline for participating in workplace and civic and educational conversations. First, listen. Pay attention. Be aware of your own voice in the conversation. And then ask, do you hear yourself talking a lot? That, that, that may be your privilege showing. So step back. Give others some room and space to speak and listen to what they have to say. Or, do you not hear your voice talking much at all? What might you need to step up? What might you need within this complex system of power and privilege? To Jesus' point in this story, step back so that others might step up. We see this power and privilege dynamic at our literal tables, but there's also privilege of place writ big, where we sit and live within our systems and structures of power and privilege. There is privilege of place reflected in American housing patterns.
within the Bay Area, we live, we sit in segregated Marin County. We know the history that brought this about. Black Americans moved to Marin City during World War II to work in the wartime shipbuilding industry in Marin City. When the war ended, white folks could use their GI Bill benefits to buy homes throughout Marin County, but black folks couldn't because of restrictive covenants and racist mortgage practices. This resulted in Marin County's segregated housing patterns and segregated schools that persist to today, racism-generated privilege of place. Marin's black community is concentrated now in Marin City, while other communities are predominantly white. San Anselmo, for example. San Anselmo is 90% white and 0.9% black. When Jesus says, Don't take the most privileged seat at the table. And we think about the privilege of place in segregated Marin County. That means working for the well-being of folks in Marin City. Excuse me. Putting them first. Helping them secure the space to speak and to lead us. It means working for real change in housing patterns, including affordable hou- advocating for affordable housing every chance we get in neighborhoods throughout Marin County, standing up to the NIMBY movement, the Not In My Backyard movement, and saying yes in our backyard. Jesus tells the guests at that dinner, don't take the privileged seats at someone else's expense. Be prepared to give up your seat so that everyone can find a place at the table. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is turning the world right side up. This is a new creation, a new world where power is shared in relationships of mutuality so that everyone can thrive. And just in case they missed it in the actual story, Jesus says it explicitly right at the end. Those who exalt themselves are being humbled. Those who have been humbled are being exalted. When you're invited to a dinner party, give up your seat so that someone else might find theirs. And then Jesus goes one step further. Jesus turns to the host and tells one more story. When you're throwing your dinner party, don't invite your friends, your brother, your sister, your siblings, the powerful and the privileged. Don't invite the ones who can pay you back. When you throw a banquet, invite the poor and the marginalized, the ones who can't repay you. When you privileged folks stop your scrambling for power, give up your seat and invite everyone to the banquet. Get up from your seat Pull out your chair and offer it to the poor and to the marginalized. Serve them and feast together. And then Jesus says, because they cannot pay you, you will be repaid in the resurrection. Well, whatever does that mean? Here's what I think. Have you all ever heard the word schadenfreude? Have you heard the word schadenfreude? So I'm going to make a confession here. For years, for years I faked 
knowing what the word schadenfreude meant. Someone would say, well, that's, that's some schadenfreude. And I would go, oh, yes, yes, schadenfreude. Schadenfreude is experiencing joy in someone's downfall, taking pleasure in someone else's suffering. Imagine a politician with whom you disagree gets embarrassed publicly and you think, ha, 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 he's finally getting his. That's schadenfreude. It's different from seeking justice and insisting that wrongs be made right and celebrating wrongs being made right. That's healthy. Schadenfreude is when the experience and emotion cross over into enjoying someone's squirming, enjoying someone else's suffering. It's, it's not a pretty emotion. So here is the word I learned last week. Freudenfreude. Freudenfreude. This is an amazing word. Freuden, uh, I learned it while I was reading Brene Brown's new book. It's her excellent Atlas of the Heart, Mapping Meaningful Experience in the Language of the Heart. It's all about um, finding words for our emotions so that we can understand who we are and how we live with more emotional, what she calls granularity. So after mapping out schadenfreude, Brene Brown says the opposite of schadenfreude is freudenfreude. Freudenfreude is enjoying someone else's success. Experiencing real joy when someone else is lifted up, when they experience wholeness and healing and reparation, freudenfreude. For the privileged, it might mean relinquishing privilege and finding real joy as others finally experience the fullness of opportunity they've been denied by oppressive systems. Rejoicing at giving up your seat at the table. Rejoicing at inviting others in. Rejoicing at serving them. Rejoicing as we feast all together. Freudenfreude. For the past 10 weeks, we've been talking about living an imperfect life well. We've talked about living life grounded in the fruit of the Spirit, living for freedom, looking for the grace and healing of small things, learning to travel light, living a balance of work and resting in the presence of God, finding ways to live and love and grieve a world that we have damaged to the point of collapse, living out a good day and then the next. What this morning's scripture adds to our conversation is the sense that living an imperfect life well almost always involves living life for others. Living life for the well-being of others. For their good as much as for our own. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is turning the world right side up. But it's not a zero-sum game. Jesus is remaking a world. And we are all being made whole. A new creation. 
one that Jesus has brought into fullness in his life, death, and resurrection, one that is present to us right here, right now, our very humanity recreated into life more loving and healing and just than we could ever imagine. And in this morning's scripture, Jesus invites us all to a table of mutuality and justice where the privileged give up our place at the table as we celebrate those who are finding theirs, as we celebrate together and rejoice together and feast together as God reshapes and recreates the world and us for good. At the end of this morning's scripture, Jesus points those gathered at that Sabbath feast and us to resurrection. He points us to resurrection, this life we can live now. Now.